Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by James DeLacy. So James has worked in elite rugby on a number of different continents, and that means he's absolutely brilliantly placed today to bring you different games which you can use in your warming up to ensure maximum motivation and promote learning of key skills which you'll see back in the same session. So without further ado, it's time to welcome James onto the show. So James DeLacy, welcome back to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for bringing me off the bench again. Coming in. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant, mate. Thank you for joining us. So um, we're here today to discuss warm-up games and how people can use them to get the best out of their training sessions, get some extra motivation in there. Um, but first things first, can you give us a quick introduction as to who is James DeLacy and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so uh, previously worked mainly in professional rugby um, in the United States, Romania, um, and here in New Zealand, currently back in New Zealand now with the whole pandemic thing and kind of transitioned to doing most of my stuff online now, which has been, uh, some good fun. Absolutely. Excellent. And what kind of, uh, online stuff are you up to? Mainly just through the online businesses and websites going a little more down, I guess you could say the affiliate marketing, digital marketing route, but still within strength conditioning. So kind of applying that area of, of my life and expertise to the online space. I think it's uh, super interesting and uh, a really interesting avenue for uh, another podcast or for people who are interested in doing something a little bit different with their lives as well. So uh, that's uh, that's some stuff that they can definitely ask you about another time. But today we're going to discuss warm-up games. So first things first, uh, why are warm-up games important? So warm-up games or games in general are usually used as for conditioning. So they're used within the session or at the end of the session um, to provide a bit of fun, um, get their aerobic or anaerobic work in. But I usually like to use them as part of the warm-up because it provides that uh, provides a bit of energy. So usually when you come in, you see a team that's quiet and you know that you know the energy's down, that's a, a good time to play a game because it sparks that energy for the training session. Um, within, I'm going to skip ahead probably some of these questions, Matt, as, as well as I talk through this. Yeah, um, yeah. But in terms of of when to to put it in the wall, so I usually like to I usually like to have either the uh, the whole warm up as the game. So, for example, I'll usually do say on if you're running like a low high model during your week on the lower days. If I'm not uh, teaching any kind of skill within that warm up, I'll run some kind of warm up game. Now. We're not just coming in cold and then say running like a full field, whatever it is. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take this from a team sport rugby background, just because this is where I've where I've applied it. But you can kind of take this and apply it to uh, whatever sport sport you're part of. But essentially, I like to start with walking games. So this is one of my general guidelines: is I'll go from walking to jogging to running. So you find that walking games are actually quite fun. You get a lot of laughs from the guys um, playing various kids games and whatever else. Um, only being able to walk, and that gets them warm enough to start transitioning into, into jogging and running. So what you can do is you can kind of run or do different games, say for two, three minutes. You can do, if you want, you can do some dynamic um, stretches or dynamic movement or whatever you want to do there. And you can get straight back into a game and you can get them um, ready for training in 10, 15 minutes just by playing various different games. Um, and within those guidelines as well, um, I'm also looking at one of the rules that I've kind of, developed over time is um, modify the rules or don't play any games that set players out. So don't like the idea of 
when I'm running a warm-up game, I want all the players to be involved because obviously we're, we're trying to warm up for the training session. When you have players sitting out, we have players essentially sitting there not doing anything or getting cold. So if we're playing some kind of tag game that involves, for example, a player having to go out or just we'll make up a different role where, for example, they might do five push-ups and carry on or whatever it is. But I'll, I'll explain that in a bit when we go through, through some examples. Um, and then as well with, with games, we can use them to to teach like fundamental principles of whatever it is, maybe as part of that session or as part of just generally as part of the sport. So a lot of games obviously have an agility element, being able to see space, create space. Um, if you're doing various wrestling games, it's being able to manipulate the body, learning when to to flow and when to um, maximally, I guess, grapple. So games provide a lot of different feedback in one and with them being fun, it's almost like, you know, the athletes don't really see it as work as such. I think that's uh, one of the most important points as well, that it's not seen as work. So they can just kind of, as if they're they're playing like children, if they're professional athletes and if they're children, then brilliant, they're playing like children. Um, it's it's an interesting and fun way to, to get started off. But I think the, the really key one for me is that you can do it from the start, right? Like in your, in your mm-hmm. walk, jog, run model, um, you don't have to do a thousand stretching exercises and a thousand different things first. You can just kind of start, um, which I think is something that a lot of coaches can, can take away and uh, potentially apply quite quickly. So they don't have to do that laborious uh, five minutes of jogging and stretching first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like sometimes I'll play two to three different games even depending on the session and each each game the grid will get larger so you're essentially going maybe walking and jogging in smaller grids to larger grids and that way you're you're expand basically having them run faster as, as you get into bigger grids and things like that so that's like another way you can progress the games as part of your warm-up um just so they're ready and so you don't have to don't have to worry about shit i gotta do five minutes of you know dynamics or whatever it is and then you know would take time away from what you're going to do in your warm up, and bear in mind that ideally you should have players, you know, doing their own thing ten minutes before training anyway, so they're not coming in like straight out of the car. Um, yeah. <laughs> turn, turn the heating up and they're nice and warm. They're sorted. So, um, in terms of then, like some different types of games. Uh, can you give us like one uh, one simple type of game? We'll start with one simple type because we're going to go through a few uh, where people can mm-hmm. get their teeth stuck into and maybe make some progressions and regressions from that. Yeah, so I'll start with, with tag-based games. These are more like your kids' games. Um, man, there's a million of these. You could literally go into a kid's essentially PE or playbook and find a lot. Um, there's a couple that I really like. The first one is Foxes and Rabbits. So you can either use um, training bibs or vests, or you can just have, if it's warm enough, just have half the team take their shirts off. Um, And essentially they'll put the shirt or bib in the back of their pants. So it's like a tail. And um, actually, sorry, not half the team. Most of the team, you only have two or three people uh, tagging. So I take that back. Let me say that again. (laughs) You're going to have most of the team take their shirts off and you're going to have two or three people who are the foxes, everyone else is rabbits. And what they're going to do, I would just start, I usually start this walking, obviously, at the beginning um, in a relatively uh, small to medium-sized grid. And the taggers will walk or jog or whatever it is around and try and grab the bibs out of um, the rabbits. And once they've been tagged, they now become foxes. So obviously, as the game goes on, you get more and more people tagging, more and more people chasing 
the rabbits. And that's a really good fun one. Um, a really easy one to implement as well, just because you literally select a couple of people that the tag is, everyone else gets ready and you just go. Um, the rules are very simple. It's a lot of fun. Players have some some good fun doing it. And essentially you're doing a lot of change of directions, accelerations, if you want to really try quantify some of the SNC stuff. But I mean, for these warm-up games, I don't really care. <laughs> it's just more, more of a more of a fun thing. Um, do you want me to do a second game now? Uh, well, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see the the progressions of that. So if you've if you've got like that, that okay. tagging game, um, yep. what could you then do to to make things either more intense or more difficult, more interesting? So the the only things I do with that specific game to make it more intense is to make the grid larger or t- change it from walking to jogging or to to now running. And that's basically that's basically it. But that doesn't mean that I might not only play that game because, for example, if uh, a team sport like rugby, they're going to have to handle the ball during during training. And then say we've done a 15-minute warm-up of just this, the first time they handle the ball is when they get into the coach's drill, then you know it becomes a little more difficult. So I might play this first and then progress into, say, some kind of ball game, um, which I'll cover in a bit. But um, just – a, a second tag game, as an example, um, I'm going to try give I, some of these are, are pretty well known. I guess it might be quite common, so they might not be anything new for the listeners. But I've got some maybe further on that might be a little less well known that that um, some can take ideas from. But another simple one is, for example, and again, and this one really highlights um, those game guidelines that I presented in the beginning, and that is just a simple ball tag. So, for example, you have um, half the team versus half the team in a relatively small grid. And you can use the thing I like to do as well for variation is obviously use any kind of ball, tennis balls, um, rugby balls, different size, random pool, like play balls kind of thing. Anything that's um, a different stimulus for them that they have to catch and throw. And essentially you're just going to play a ball tag. They're going to pass the ball around. The players holding the ball cannot uh, move. So if you have the ball kind of like netball, basically, and then they're going to try tag while holding the ball, one of the opposing um, team who are also walking or running around. And then I'll just count how many tags they can make in two minutes and have a competition between the teams. So instead of tagging someone and they go out of the grid and the game finishes when everyone's tagged, I have everyone always in the grid playing and then just count the number of tags so that everyone's always uh, working. I think that's a, a really good way of making sure that everyone's involved all the time and a real simple rule change that actually makes sure that you're you're not excluding people and that your warm-up is far more efficient for most athletes instead of getting rid of most of them throughout the session. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Otherwise, yeah, sit on the sidelines and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's tagging games. Have you got another different type of uh, game that can be played? Yeah, so I'll run through some... Ball games. I guess that ball tag one's kind of a ball game anyway, but I'll I'll carry on from there. You can you can almost use the the same exact setup as I just presented with the ball tag, but you can do a passing game. So you could do um, how many I usually do say in a two minute period, how many passes can the teams string together um, in a row? And I'll have the teams compete um, in two minute periods. So again, the person holding the ball cannot move. And then the defending team is basically trying to intercept or, or slap down the ball. Um, and that's just another variation within within that. And it's getting the players aware of being able to create space, being able to move into space, simple hand-eye coordination stuff. Um, and again, you can progress that walking, jogging, running. You can have – I usually play this in a relatively small grid. Playing, in, playing this one in a grid that's too big 
turns like uh, you get a lot of lofty passes, you know, people trying to throw it from one corner to the other um, and it just becomes a mess instead of keeping it a little more compact. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, especially when uh, uh, you take other sports into consideration as well, maybe like uh, football, soccer, where passing the ball 40 meters is completely reasonable. And if you're good as well, you can do it. Um, but then you're doing a lot of running and a lot of chasing after a ball, but maybe not a lot of uh, passing, which could be the goal of the, the drill, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then a second example, this one, I actually played quite a bit with our, with our sevens, there were many I quite liked it. It's it's, um, it's a four goal offside touch. So if people don't know offside touch, if you normal touch rugby, you you have two teams, one on either side. You're basically going. Um, you can only pass the ball backwards like rugby. Offside touch, you can pass the ball anywhere. So offside touch is more like netball, but you can run with the ball. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so basically, you're trying to pass the ball into the other person's end goal. Um, with the same teammate catching it, and then you just play the other way. The four goal offside touches I create on each uh, side of the field, so all four sides, I create a small gate, and then you have to pass it through that gate to one of your players on your team. So you can score on any of the four things. You're almost playing in a big circle. Um, and that essentially gives more opportunities to create space, more opportunities to run into space, being able to evade opponents. Um, being able to think on your feet, you know, adapt to different rules and things like that. Again, I'll use different balls as well, even within the game itself. So maybe after 30 seconds, I changed the rugby ball. And now they have to play with a tennis ball. Um, and then, you know, maybe the following game, they have to play with a mini basketball, things like that. So um, those are little variations you can play within that. This one, you can play walking as well. So you can play in a larger grid walking to start if you wanted to, or you can progress to it maybe from, say, for example, doing foxes and rabbits. And then getting into a larger grid as you start to jog and, and play this this four goal offside touch. Absolutely excellent. Um, and what about a, a different type of game to to the standard invasion games, right? So you've got obviously here we've we've done some uh, some tagging games and some some ball based games. Are there any other completely different types of games which you could implement, which are still uh, playing as such, but they're not necessarily the standard running around and, and hitting each other. Yeah, so this one's more applicable to, to combat and, and collision sports like, like rugby. Um, so there's uh, various uh, variations you can do of, of wrestling games. Um, you, you do need to get Andy Ryland on this podcast too to talk about uh, combat conditioning and combat uh, drills like that. He's got a bunch of really, really good ones. Um, but some that – a couple that I really like – or one one I really like that has multiple variations – is fighting for double underhooks. So for those who aren't, don't or don't have uh, any kind of grappling background or anything like that, double underhooks is essentially getting both hands or arms under the armpits of your opponent. So if you have double unders, you have two arms under, your opponent has two arms over. If you have, um, you can have one arm under and also one arm over. So that's called an over-under. So essentially what you want to do, uh, one of the variations is fighting for underhooks by starting from an over-under position. So essentially, for those um, of you out there that know the pummel, which is essentially what, if you watch any rugby league or rugby match, you usually see players pummel their shoulders together before the game to open their shoulders up for contact. So you can start in the over-under position, and then you can fight for underhooks. Now, the great thing about this drill or this game is you can do it either 
maximally, so maximum effort trying to fight for those unders, or you can flow. So you can actually do this flowing where you're just kind of pummeling over under, manipulating the body, getting those hooks, having um, the tricep and the lats and being able to manipulate the opponent, but just in a nice, easy way. So you can literally do 60 seconds of just pummeling over unders, manipulating the opponent, kind of flowing with it. And then if you want, you can do, um, say, 30 seconds of in that position, fighting for um, the double underhooks. And the great thing about it is that it teaches, it teaches the athlete, especially the ones in contact, when they need to be able to kind of explode and give a lot of effort and when they can or need to relax and flow because anyone who's done any kind of uh, grappling sport or um, even collision sport, you know that if you go into a wrestle for 20 seconds as hard as you can, you're gassed and you're essentially you're done for, for how long. But those who are very high level can go long because they know when to relax and they can breathe, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and it's just learning as well, like body awareness in that contact situation, you know, like where you're safe, where you're not safe, uh, positions or how you can manipulate your opponent's body position so you get the advantage, you know, being able to get your shoulder under their shoulder, getting in dominant positions, being able to take them off center, all that stuff you can learn within um, these various wrestling games. And I like the underhook games because they're the most realistic and transfer best um, over to that contact situation and also also warms you up well for contact considering you're you're wrestling for things and you're getting that shoulder contact in um, and then you've also got other variations you can use within that so you can another one i like to use is having an opponent start with double uh, double underhooks so they'll grip around the back and they'll stay tight and then the other guy with his arms um, free or over he'll fight for 60 seconds to try get both his hands through and get double underhooks and what you'll find is um, a lot of athletes that are kind of uh, or haven't been taught too much in the contact, they're not tight in that position. They don't they don't understand how they can use their head and how they can use um, their elbows and everything to keep tight to, and to manipulate the opponent so he can't get his arms in because a lot of um, athletes will kind of stand there, maybe with their head back or just stand and hold and let their and let their opponent do whatever it is to get their hands in where you can actually be active in that position. So you can kind of clamp that opponent and you can be active and move um, and respond to what he's doing. So that's another another way you can kind of drill that body awareness and contact. Um, and then a, a kind of variation on from uh, from starting over-unders is you can fight for underhooks and then you can fight to be able to underhook and then lift the opponent um, off the ground just, just for a second or two. Um, and this means that once you get the underhooks, you still have to get the hips and to almost finish, you could say finish the contact. So being able to pick them up. So that's just another way of um, just general body awareness and uh, strengthen that contact. I think that's super interesting. And there's one that, that I enjoyed doing with wrestling, which was uh, with a Swiss ball in between the two players. And they have to wrestle for mm. the Swiss ball effectively. Yeah. Um, because obviously the, the perturbations are slightly different. Um, you're a little bit further away from each other. So you have, uh, yeah, it's a little bit easier to move your feet around. Um, and you have a little bit more space. But uh, because of the fact that the, the air is in the ball, you can kind of push people in a different way. Um, and you don't obviously get that, that physical contact of, of feeling someone move. 
but you do get a lot of uh, extra core activation from the fact that your arms are around that Swiss ball um, in a pretty, yeah, uh, pretty not useful position for your for your body. Um, and watch a few rugby guys go to town on that. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. You've got to clear the gym out a little bit. You've got to make sure that probably <laughs> uh, five or ten guys around the outside to push them back into the middle. But it's like Fight Club, man. Yeah. No, that, that, that's always a good one. The only problem is obviously you need a number of Swiss balls if you're doing it with the whole team at once. Yeah. yeah. But hey, if, if you're going to have to tackle a massive fat prop, that Swiss <laughs> ball, that Swiss ball wrestle, yeah, it's come in handy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And if you don't, if you want to do it safely as well, we've done it on the, on the ground before as well. So you get one guy on the ground, yeah. uh, lying down and, um, the, the person above has to try and wrestle that ball out of them. Um, so you can change the body positions too, right? Yeah. 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 Of course you can definitely go. I didn't, I didn't put any kind of variations on the ground and stuff like that because I think most, most people know a lot of those common ones, like holding someone on their back and things like that. Um, they're all great warm up, warm up st- uh, drills and there's some stuff to learn in them, but I think the ones on the feet um, kind of lend the most uh, learning that can be carried over into, into collision sports at least. Absolutely. Excellent, mate. So in terms of then making that practically applicable, how do you make sure that all of these games then lead into the training session? Because obviously there's going to be coaches listening who want to make sure that the, the head coach is appeased when it comes to, okay, well, today we're going to do this type of drill, this type of uh, small sided game or contact or whatever it might be. How do you make sure that those warm up games relate to the, to the session which is going to follow? Mm. Contact's obviously easy. Like if you've got a defense session, you're going to be doing contact warm up. So that's probably like obviously the easiest transition. I like to work. I like to work the contact warm up with the actual defense coaches. So maybe I, if I do some kind of um, sub maximal, whatever is wrestling kind of grapple kind of game, and then maybe some heavier stuff to get them ready for contact, it almost bleeds straight into the actual session where it doesn't actually look like the warm ups ended because I like to get the coach actually involved into helping with some of the technical side, even during the the grapple or whatever it is, because there are some elements of the tackle that'll come in there. And then say they go into tackle tech straight after that. It's like a, it's a really smooth transition, right? If you've just been pummeling and fighting for underhooks, et cetera, then now you're straight into tackle tech with a defense coach as well. That's yeah, that's an easy sell. Um, with the other stuff, like, because like I'm not playing games every single warm up, So obviously some days it might be speed or whatever it is. Um, obviously it's easy on days, say if you have um, an agility based session with the backs and stuff like that, these games are again, easily fit in there because they um, fit that similar mold of what uh, the agility games are going to be like in training. Cause there's going to be various three on twos and larger grid spaces, um, two on ones, et cetera, et cetera. So for example, on a Monday, we might play games because I just played a game Saturday. Monday's our low day. We come and we'll play games to warm up and then they'll go into, you know, whatever it is that they're going through that day, maybe going trying to correct some technical tactical side of things because the day isn't so hard. There's not, it's just more getting the players mentally prepared to get back on the field and stuff. A lot of them will still be sore. Um, first training of the week after, you know, athletes on the weekend as well, you know, you don't know what they get up to. So it's just getting that. You do, which is why they need to chill out at the start. (laughs) (laughs) I was just being nice. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's uh, that's super interesting, mate. Um, So 
Where can, uh, where can coaches find you if they want to find some more information about you and uh, what you've been up to? Um, I, I don't really post much on social media, but I guess on Instagram, jdelacy90. On Twitter, jdelacy01. And then I've got a couple, a couple of my websites. One's in combat sports because I really enjoy it and, and enjoy competing in it. Um, that's sweetscienceoffighting.com. And then a more recent site that I've acquired more on the fitness space is liftbigeatbig.com. So you can find a lot of my content on those. Otherwise, you can find a, a shitload of my content on science for sport as well. And uh, massive thanks, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. And I look forward to the next one. No, thank you. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to James for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get loads more great sports science information, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. So hit that link in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be really good if you could share this with a coach, colleague or athlete who you think could benefit from this knowledge. Of course, that helps us spread the good word of the podcast, but it also helps you to help a friend. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.